Good morning. Donald Trump is subpoenaed, setting the stage for an epic legal battle. New videos show Pelosi and Schumer trapped in the Capitol on January 6th, begging for help. A mass killer escapes death in Florida, and France says it won't use nukes, even if Russia does. With these and other stories, I'm Paul Durienzo with the news for Friday morning, October 14th, 2022. The House committee investigating the January 6, 2021 attack on the U.S. Capitol issued a surprise subpoena seeking testimony from former President Donald Trump on Thursday, a challenge with little historical precedent that members say is necessary before the panel concludes its work. Ranking minority member Liz Cheney. But our duty today is to our country and our children and our Constitution. We are obligated to seek answers directly from the man who set this all in motion. And every American is entitled to those answers so we can act now to protect our republic. So this afternoon, I am offering this resolution that the committee direct the chairman to issue a subpoena for relevant documents and testimony under oath from Donald John Trump in connection with the January 6th attack on the United States Capitol. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. I yield back. The measure passed unanimously with all nine members demanding Trump testify. It was the dramatic ending to a 14-month investigation that unearthed evidence then-President Trump and his allies, both inside and outside of government, knew he had lost the election and planned to seize power, violently, if necessary. Trump immediately assailed the panel's work, and experts say the subpoena is unlikely to succeed without a lengthy court battle lasting into next year when Republicans might take over the House. But even without Trump's testimony, there have been plenty of revelations about his role in the insurrection. Emails from the Secret Service show concern about protesters who seemed hesitant to pass through metal detectors, a sign many were armed. This email, for example, was an alert that the Secret Service received on December 24th with the heading, Armed and Ready, Mr. President. According to the intelligence, multiple users online were targeting members of Congress, instructing others to march into the chambers on January 6th and make sure they know who to fear. In this report received on December 26th, a Secret Service field office relayed a tip that had been received by the FBI. According to the source of the tip, the Proud Boys plan to march armed into DC. They think that they will have a large enough group to march into DC armed, the source reported, and will outnumber the police so they can't be stopped. The source went on to say, their plan is to literally kill people. Please, please take this tip seriously and investigate further. The source also made clear that the Proud Boys had detailed their plans on multiple websites, like the Donald.win. Committee member Adam Schiff read emails about the increasing number of firearms arrests in the streets of Washington as the crowd closed in on the Capitol. Minutes before President Trump began his speech, members of the Federal Protective Service, an agency tasked with protecting federal buildings, were alerted about an arrest of a protester with a gun on his waistband. And during the speech, the weapons-related arrests continued. At 12.13 p.m., United States Park Police arrested a man with a rifle in front of the World War II Memorial. 
These agents remarked on the number of weapons that had been seized that day, speculating that the situation could get worse. With so many weapons found so far, you wonder how many are unknown, one agent wrote at 12.36 p.m. Could be sporty after dark. At 12.47 p.m., another agent responded, no doubt, the people at the Ellipse said they are moving to the Capitol after the POTUS speech. Emails read by committee member Adam Schiff. Despite evidence of brewing violence, Trump still exhorted the crowd to march on Congress and angrily pressed for agents to drive him to the Capitol so he could lead the way. California Democrat Zoe Lofgren presented new videos showing that Trump advisors Steve Bannon and Roger Stone knew there was a real possibility of violence on January 6th. As you know, Mr. Bannon refused to testify in our investigation. He's been convicted of criminal contempt of Congress, and he's awaiting sentencing. But the evidence indicates that Mr. Bannon had advanced knowledge of Mr. Trump's intent to clear victory falsely on election night, but also that Mr. Bannon knew about Mr. Trump's planning for January 6th. Here's what Bannon said on January 5th. All hell is going to break loose tomorrow. It's all converging, and now we're on, as they say, the point of attack, right? The point of attack tomorrow. I'll tell you this. It's not going to happen like you think it's going to happen, okay? It's going to be quite extraordinarily different. And all I can say is strap in. You have made this happen, and tomorrow it's game day. So strap in. Let's get ready. Another close associate of Donald Trump apparently knew of Mr. Trump's intentions as well. Now, Roger Stone is a political operative with a reputation for dirty tricks. In November 2019, he was convicted of lying to Congress and other crimes and sentenced to more than three years in prison. He's also a longtime advisor to President Trump and was in communication with President Trump throughout 2020. Mr. Trump pardoned Roger Stone on December 23, 2020. Now, recently, the select committee got footage of Mr. Stone before and after uh, the election from Danish filmmaker Christopher Gilbranson, pursuant to a subpoena. Right before the election, here's Roger Stone talking about what President Trump would do after the election. Let's just hope we're celebrating. Oh, I, I suspect it'll be, I really do suspect it'll still be up in the air. But when that happens, the key thing to do is to claim victory. Possession is nine-tenths of the law. No, we won. Fuck you. Sorry, over. We won. Yeah. You're wrong. Fuck you. The select committee called Mr. Stone as a witness, but he invoked his Fifth Amendment right against self-incrimination. Do you believe the violence on January 6th was justified? Uh, on the advice of counsel, I respectfully re, uh, decline to answer your question on the basis of the Fifth Amendment. And Mr. Stone, did you have any role in planning for the violence on January 6th? Uh, once again, I will assert my Fifth Amendment right to decline to answer your question. Although we don't yet have all the relevant records of Roger Stone's communications, even Stone's own social media posts acknowledge that he spoke with Donald Trump on December 27th as preparations for January 6th were underway. 
Meanwhile, footage shot by Democratic House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's daughter, documentary filmmaker Alexandra Pelosi, showed the Speaker and other leaders, including Republicans, working the phones through the afternoon, trying to get police and National Guard to respond. We have some senators who are still in their hideaways. They need massive personnel now. Can you get the Maryland National Guard to come too? I have something to say, Mr. Secretary. Well, I'm going to call the, the mayor of Washington, D.C. right now and see what uh, other outreach she has to other police departments, as Senator Hoyer has mentioned. Governor, I don't know if you have been approached about the uh, Virginia National Guard. Mr. Hoyer was connect, uh, speaking to uh, uh, Governor Hogan, uh, but I still think you probably need the okay of the, uh, the federal government in order to come into another jurisdiction. Thank you. Oh my gosh, they're just breaking windows, they're doing all, all kinds of, it's really that somebody, they said somebody was shot, it's just, it's just horrendous, and all at the instigation of the President of the United States. They're breaking the law in many different ways. Yeah, why don't you get the President to tell them to leave the Capitol, Mr. Attorney General, in your law enforcement responsibility. A public statement, they should all leave. cannot be just we're waiting for so-and-so. We need them there now, whoever you got. We'll inform you that their best information is that they believe that uh, the House and the Senate will be able uh, to reconvene in roughly an hour. Good news. Thank you very much, Mr. Vice President. Good news. Committee member Jamie Raskin picked up the narrative in the evening after the invaders were pushed out of the Capitol. He says Trump knew what he was doing and it said as much to his followers. Finally, at 6.01, President Trump tweeted again, not to condemn the mass violence in any way, but rather to excuse and glorify it. Significantly, he made it clear that he considered the violence perfectly foreseeable and predictable. Check it out. These are the things and events that happen when a sacred landslide election victory is so unceremoniously, viciously stripped away from great patriots who have been badly, unfairly treated for so long. These are the things that happen, he said, giving the whole game away. Trump was telling us that the vice president, the Congress, and all the injured and wounded cops, some of whom are with us today, got what was coming to us. According to Trump, January 6th should not be a day that lives in shame and infamy in our history, but rather in glory. Remember this day forever, he wrote proudly, as if he were talking about D-Day or the Battle of Yorktown. Trump did nothing to stop the deadly violence for obvious reasons. He thought it was all justified, he incited it, and he supported it. The session likely marked Liz Cheney's last appearance on the dais for work she's described as the most important of her public life. She said America is an exception in the world and depends on loyalty to the Constitution. In more news about the insurrection, a member of the Oath Keepers testified yesterday about a massive cache of weapons the far-right extremist group stashed in a Virginia hotel room. Witness Terry Cummings showed jurors an AR-15 rifle and an ammunition box he contributed to the so-called Quick Reaction Force the Oath Keepers had staged in the hotel outside of Washington in case they needed weapons. 
Oathkeeper founder Stuart Rhodes and four associates are on trial in Washington, charged with seditious conspiracy. That's defined as trying to overthrow the government by force. And in related news, the Supreme Court on Thursday rejected former President Trump's plea to step into the legal fight over the FBI search of his Florida estate. Trump's lawyers asked the justices to overturn a lower court ruling and permit an independent arbiter, known as a special master, to review about 100 documents with classified markings found in a search of Mar-a-Lago. Trump's lawyers argued it was essential for a special master to determine if the documents marked classified are in fact classified and if they belong to Trump. In more national news, millions of Social Security recipients will get an 8.7% boost in their benefits in 2023, a historic increase, but a gain that'll be eaten up in part by the rising cost of everyday living. The cost of living adjustment is the largest in more than 40 years, putting an extra $140 a month in the pockets of the average Social Security recipient. The benefits boost is matched by a 3% drop in Medicare Part B premiums. Meanwhile, a separate government report showed inflation accelerating again. The consumer price index rose 0.4% for September and is up 8.2% for the past 12 months. Jobless claims for unemployment benefits also rose for the week. And five people were killed by a shooter who opened fire along a walking trail in Raleigh, North Carolina on Thursday. An off-duty police officer was among those killed by the suspect who police only described as a white juvenile male. He was arrested several hours after the shooting began. There was no motive given for the shooting, but Governor Roy Cooper called it senseless and horrific. And in more news, a divided jury spared Florida school shooter Nicholas Cruz the death penalty yesterday for killing 17 people in Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on February 14, 2018. We, the jury, unanimously find that the state has established beyond a reasonable doubt the existence of the aggravating factor. The first-degree murder of Luke Hoyer was especially heinous, atrocious, or cruel. Yes. We, the jury, unanimously find that the state has established beyond a reasonable doubt the existence of the aggravating factor. The first-degree murder of Luke Hoyer was committed in a cold calculated and premeditated manner without any pretense of moral or legal justification. Yes. Reviewing the aggravating factors that we unanimously found to be established beyond a reasonable doubt, we the jury unanimously find that the aggravating factors are sufficient to warrant a possible death sentence. Yes. One or more individual jurors find that one or more mitigating circumstances was established by the greater weight of the evidence. Yes. We, the jury, unanimously find that the aggravating factors that were proven beyond a reasonable doubt outweigh the mitigating circumstances. No. The jury rejected the death penalty after deliberating for about seven hours over two days. Cruz's lead public defender, Melissa McNeil, had told the jury beforehand life in prison would still be a horrible punishment and suggested that other prisoners might target him. But that wasn't enough for many family members. Fred Gutenberg is the father of 14-year-old victim Jamie. I hope and pray he receives the kind of mercy from prisoners that he showed to my daughter and the 16 others. He is going to go to prison and he will die in prison. And I will be waiting to read the news on that. He should have received the death sentence today. There was no mercy for a murder that was planned over a long period of time. 
And that was sadly, as proven by the state, executed. Other parents also expressed disbelief with the sentence. We came here today and it wasn't even a doubt in my mind that this would be the death penalty. I'm beyond disgusted of what happened, what occurred. And again, what is the death penalty for, if not for the murder and killing of 17 people? What would you ask jurors? What would you ask them if they were right here in front of you? What were you thinking? This isn't about your personal beliefs. It's not about your religious values. It's about the heinous crime that was committed. There is no recovery. Jail is about rehabbing someone. There is no rehabbing. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a right-wing Republican with an affinity for execution, was also enraged by the verdict. This killer is going to end up uh, getting a same sentence of people who've committed bad acts, but acts that did not rise to this level. I just don't think anything else is appropriate uh, except a capital sentence in this case. And so I was very disappointed to see that. I'm also disappointed that we're four and a half years after these killings and we're just now getting this. You know, they used to do this. He would have been executed in six months. He's guilty. Everybody knew that from the beginning. And yet it takes years and years in this legal system that is not serving the interests of victims. Florida Governor DeSantis Circuit Judge Elizabeth Scherer will formally issue the life sentences November 1st. Relatives, along with the students and teachers crews wounded, will be given the opportunity to speak. And in news from the war in Ukraine, during an interview with French TV Channel 2, President Emmanuel Macron said Wednesday Paris would evidently not use nuclear weapons in response to a Russian nuclear attack on Ukraine. France is the European Union's only nuclear power. Russian President Vladimir Putin raised the specter of a nuclear war last month, threatening to use all weapons resources at his disposal to win. U.S. President Joe Biden promised a catastrophe and Armageddon for Russia if it used nukes against Ukraine. Russia's nuclear threat heated up the already bloody war with Ukraine. That's been marked by attacks on infrastructure and civilians by both sides, most recently by Russian missiles after an attack on a crucial bridge last week. Meanwhile, one of America's best-known whistleblowers, Daniel Ellsberg, participated in a discussion yesterday organized by the group Brooklyn for Peace. Ellsberg was a military analyst for the government when he turned over the secret Pentagon Papers, History of the Vietnam War, to the New York Times and Washington Post. He also worked on nuclear strategy. His most recent book is The Doomsday Machine, Confessions of a Nuclear War Planner. He says, while Putin's threats are incredibly dangerous, the lack of real reaction by the West shows U.S. complicity in nuclear terror. This is outrageous, immoral, the threats, the readiness, insane. Well, the U.S. and its allies are not likely to say that, and they haven't, because they've been making those threats for 70 years, including a time when, as Carolyn knows, uh, I want to say that we had a monopoly. First use versus second use. We were the only country uh, that had nuclear weapons, and we were threatening them then. So that didn't start uh, with the Cold War. This goes obviously the first combat use, if you can call it combat, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, which 
Putin referred to as prescient. Well, it is a kind of prescient, but uh, what kind? I grew up being told destruction, the massacre of civilians is an evil, surely. It is a lesser evil. Lesser than a million Americans uh, being uh, killed in an invasion, and even a million Japanese, which was the inevitable alternative to popping those bombs. But that was a lie. Every aspect of that mission was false. That was not the alternative. It was unjustified by New York News, lots outside of the house. An unjustified massacre is murder. Mass murder. And NATO Secretary General Jen Stoltenberg tried to walk back the nuclear escalation yesterday. He says using nukes is a remote possibility. Circumstances in which uh, NATO might have to use nuclear weapons are extremely remote. Russia's nuclear rhetoric is dangerous, reckless, and uh, they know that if they use nuclear weapons against Ukraine, it will have severe consequences, and they also know that uh, a nuclear war cannot be won and should never be fought. And U.S. Secretary of State Lloyd Austin promised more air defense weapons to Ukraine after dozens were killed in Russian missile attacks, but he stopped short of offering long-range cannons capable of striking deep inside Russia. You know, we met yesterday in the Ukraine uh, defense contact group, and we encouraged our allies to provide um, as much of what Ukraine said that it ur urgently needed as quickly as possible. Uh, and what it described, uh, what the leadership described that they needed yesterday uh, uh, most was air defense capability. So you've heard the United States say that, uh, you know, we're going to provide uh, NASAMs. Uh, you, you heard us say yesterday that Germany is providing an IRST system, and that's being moved in as we speak. Uh, and just uh, today, one of our allies uh, came back one day later and said that they were going to push in additional Hawk systems, which, uh, which the uh, uh, Ukrainians had asked for. So we thank Spain for its, uh, its very, very rapid uh, response. We would encourage the rest of our allies uh, to, uh, uh, to dig deep and, uh, and provide additional capability as well. And I feel confident that our allies will do that. Secretary of State Lloyd Austin. And finally, Ukrainian entries dominated yesterday's shortlist to win the European Union's top human rights prize. The people of Ukraine were nominated for the Sakharov Prize, followed by Brazil environmental activist Sonia Guajara and imprisoned WikiLeaks activist Julian Assange. Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny, also in prison, won it last year, making it two years in a row Russia was the villain. The winner of the prize will be announced Wednesday and the 50,000 euro payout will be awarded during the December 14th session of the European Parliament in Strasbourg, France. And that's the news for Friday morning, October 14th, 2022. The news is produced, written, and anchored by me, Paul Durienzo. You can get the news at pauldurienzo.com. From New York City, I'm Paul Durienzo. Thanks for listening.